This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Seek Reality Radio with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about your reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here is Roberta. We all know that there's only one reality, yet even in the 21st century, we continue to talk about living in two realities that exist simultaneously. We have scientific materialism and we have spiritual theism, and they're actually mutually exclusive. Of course, neither of them can tell us what, what's actually going on, what our one reality really is, because both Christianity and materialist science have devolved into enough just belief systems. That's true of science, too. One is theism. What is atheism? So how can you and I find the truth? Well, when we study nearly 200 years of abundant and consistent communications from the dead, we get an amazing and astonishingly complete, actually, glimpse of what actually is going on. And when we learn from the dead is consistent with both quantum physics and the teachings of Jesus. How extraordinary is that? Our guest today is Robert Kopecki, who had three count them three near-death experiences and he shares what he learned from them in a delightful book entitled how to survive light life and then in parentheses and death a guide for happiness in this world and beyond welcome robert thanks roberta it's a great pleasure to be with you i'm delighted to have you here this is a this is a, a it's a very sweet book because it's light. Um, I, a lot of books, even books about near-death experiences or books that should be positive, are kind of portentous. And this book is, is not portentous. This book is, as it should be, light, cheerful, positive, and uh, gives us some pointers on how to live. And uh, Robert and I uh, have had a little chance to chat, and I'd like it, him to tell, just briefly tell us his history. He's, he actually has a dream job. He's, a, he's a, a person who does kid cartoons and other kinds of fanciful entertainment. So tell us what you do, Robert. Um, I'm an animation designer, uh, largely for children's programming. It ha- I have, have been doing that for years. I was an illustrator for a very long time and a cartoonist. Well, wow. probably because I was a I was a, a very imaginative child, you know, and that ended up being my uh, my life's calling. In in on one hand, uh, now it's shifting a little bit, and I find myself uh, doing less and less animation design and more writing along the the lines of the book. So times change. <laughs> they they really do, but I mean that's a dream job. Uh, a lot of people would give anything to be able to have had that kind of a career, so I take my hat off to you that you could do that. Well, you know, something I could always draw. I was always able to draw. I never had to learn, really. So when I practiced it, I got better and better at it, and it became a way that I could make a living right off the bat. And uh, it's been a lot of fun to be able to contribute to uh, to children's educations. For example, I worked on a show. I was the art director for a show called Word World on PBS Kids for a number of years. 
and it's a great preschool show that teaches kids how to read. So that was yeah. a really nice opportunity to be to be able to feel like one is contributing when you're applying your trade. You know, absolutely. Yeah, that's the, you're doing the work of the saints. So, but then one day you were minding your own business and you had a tree jump out in front of you. Tell us that. <laughs> tell us that story. I mean, darn tree. <laughs> well, it was a telephone pole, actually. <laughs> oh, that's right. It was a telephone pole. I they blew start my own jumping line. in front of you that way. It's pretty much <laughs> the same effect. Um, right. Yeah, and you know that was an entirely different life, right? I mean, I, at that time I was an illustrator. I was a young illustrator. I was. Married for the first time, uh, not the last, not the last time, but I was living in Los Angeles and, and I was doing pretty well and I was very caught up in the material world. You know, I was very much involved in having people know who I was and getting, gaining a reputation and making money and all that kind of stuff. I was working way too much. And I got in a single car, car accident because of something that you don't see very much anymore, which is my tape cassette uh, player malfunctioned. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, right. So yeah, yeah, right. You don't see them anymore. Tape. I have all these tapes that are perfectly useless now. Right. They don't put well, them the, anymore. The one that caused my, sort of uh, added to the, my crash was is, was useless, definitely. I pulled it out. As I pulled it out, you know, it was stuck in the mechanism of the player, and kaboom. The next thing I knew, the very next in, instant, I was at the top of a telephone pole at the level of a street light, and it was dusk, and I was looking down over this neighborhood, and lights started snapping on in houses, and people were coming out of their houses because they had heard the crash, and beneath me was the car that I had been driving, crashed into the telephone pole I was near the top of, and uh, um, it was a mess, and I could see somebody kind of hanging out of the window. Oh, wow. The windshield was uh, broken, and it was me uh, down there. I could tell that it was me, and I heard people saying, this looks bad, call an ambulance, and I watched the ambulance arrive. And, uh, did you think I you were dead? Pardon? Did, did you think you were dead? No, you know, I wasn't really um I wasn't really thinking about it in those terms at the time. I was just kind of in awe. And you know, that's something yeah. uh, I mean I think that has to do with kind of the lightness with which I approached the whole subject of death was that my experiences were awesome. <laughs> you know, yes. they were amazing. I didn't have a protracted illness in any of the situations, and so I didn't spend a long time suffering and, and with all that discomfort like some people, unfortunately, go through. Sure. Um, they were very spontaneous and uh, um, um, immediate things that just kind of launched me, uh, and so I was there, there, launched. There does seem to be something, though, that's true, which is when I, in all the near-death experiences that I've read, there seems to me it's almost like you have a... a a calming anesthetic or something that that happens to you. People aren't afraid. To me, it seems like the first thing you think is, "My goodness, I must be dead." Uh, you know, who's going to do the laundry or whatever? I don't know. You'd, 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 there'd be some anxiety attached to it, but there doesn't seem to be. I, I think your experience is quite typical of what people report in that situation. Yeah. What do I tell everybody? <laughs> right. That's right. I had all these plans for next week. What How am I going to explain this? <laughs> right. So I, so I really didn't have that because you know the thing that uh, the, the thing that I experienced in all of all of my uh, experiences was this sense of weightlessness, 
of yes. being very comfortably detached from that material aspect of life and, and not having those sort of the kind of grim demands, the sort of harsh realities were just immediately lifted. And uh, so I felt just as light as air, which I really believe that our essential spirits are as yes. light as air. And I also didn't suffer from uh, quite the same form of sequential thought, too, you know. Um, I seemed to have a more holistic uh, way of thinking, where I, it was more like shared, shared intuitive intelligence, kind of like, you know, my voice of reason was, it was more or less my my uh, whole consciousness. In fact, it kind of an enhanced sanity, in a way. You know? yeah, oh, so what a great way to put it. That was easier, yes. too. That was yes. easier, too. And, and there was somebody there with you, right? Or you had a sense of a presence? Yes, I did. I wasn't alone <clears throat> in any of my uh, experiences. I wasn't alone, although I never really turned and faced and confronted the person. I, uh, personage, <laughs> Yeah, I spent in my meditations, you know, have gained kind of a conversational uh, relationship uh, with who I believe it to have been all the time. Um, but they did sort of kind of shepherd me away from the scene. It was time to go at a certain point. Uh, they were loading my body into the um, ambulance, and I was incapable of communicating with anyone. I suppose in a way I was a ghost, kind of, because I tried to uh, um, participate, but... <laughs> No one knew I was there, and yes. uh, and so I was um, gently herded off into kind of a cloud, you know. And I experienced this, um, I experienced a sort of interview after that in rather a pastoral place. It was very uh, comfortable and uh, interesting, and I I was um, I was kind of uh, asked or coached about rather important subject matter, I think, that I don't remember explicitly what it was, but it was important, I know that. And then I, um, you know, I recovered consciousness about 20 hours later uh, in, you know, regular time. And, and you had broken the windshield with your face, but y they were able to repair that. Uh, I don't think they repaired the windshield because the car was... <laughs> Totally. They tried with my face, but right. <laughs> I'm not sure how great a job they did with that. Either. Oh, my you goodness. Know? I'm sorry. When we're young, that matters to us so much, too. I'm really That's sorry okay. about that. It's all right. So, so what was your reaction coming out of that? Okay, uh, I've, I had this. Ex I don't know what they talked to me about, but I know it was big, and I've, I've been out of my body, and now here I'm coming back. So you knew it wasn't a dream. Did you wake up feeling as if something momentous had happened to you? Yeah, no, you know what happened with me is that I was grabbed by the throat by, by the material world again. And I, oh. I, I kind of completely lost that cloud that I was on or in or whatever and uh, began instantly worrying about... Uh, um, you know, the circumstances of the accident, about the car, yeah. and about talking to my wife, and about what I would tell people. And, you know, it, immediately oh. I was right back into a regular life and, in fact, really kind of suppressed the whole experience uh, for, for years. I had it underneath, right, but I, I never felt the need to express it or even live by what Did I Did you had tell anyone it, what had happened to you? You know, just a couple of times, and then I skated right over it and kept on with my regular life. 
But one thing I want to make sure we mention is that when you went back to the scene, which you really had not seen before because you were in the middle of crashing into the telephone pole, it, everything was as you had seen it, right, from above? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, I went back to investigate that. I still had my head wrapped in bandages, in fact, when I did that. <clears throat> and um, I looked, looked over, uh, I looked around a hedge that I had been looking over, and, you know, everything was right in the place that I had seen wow. it. So I knew that I had. It was real. Yeah, Yeah, that's exciting. That was real. We all want validation when we have extraordinary experiences, so it's wonderful you were able to get that validation. Yeah, and it's funny that I went on and I suppressed the whole thing because I did have my wits about me well enough to have wanted to examine that and make certain that it was true. Um, But, you know, I got uh, caught up by life again. And uh, it was just carried me along until, uh, and actually, you know, none of my near-death experiences really knocked me into a spiritual way of life. It took something else to do that later on. Well, all right. Let's let's talk about about your your next. Uh, you, so you have a career, and your your life is in is happening to you. What caused your next near-death experience to happen? Um. You know, I just backtracked just a little bit. My first wife and I, at one point, we were rather successful in Los Angeles, both young professionals, and we quit everything and took off and traveled around the world for a year. Oh, wonderful. How smart you were to do that. It was a rather mystical trip, too. You know, we went to a lot of ruins and a lot of cathedrals, and uh, we went through the... uh, the South Pacific uh, to some remote islands and looking for tiki. And not long after that, we went to the Yucatan and kind of explored the Mayan underworld without really having, you know, what we considered to be particularly esoteric uh, reasons <laughs> for going. We just oh, kind of but, um, just inspired to do that. If you don't do it when you're young, you never will. So you were very smart to do that. Right, and they were all kind of unusual, you know, these kind of unusual places to off the beaten track and the like. But when we returned, <clears throat> I uh, had an experience with an aunt of mine who had been very important to me when I was a child because I, I came from a pretty chaotic childhood, and she used to uh, exonerate me. She used to take me out of it every once in a while, and we'd travel together and have a really good time, and she was very beautiful and funny. And when we returned to the United States after the the trip I mentioned, I got a phone call, and she was in a coma that had been caused apparently by malpractice. Oh, no. And I rushed to the hospital, and I was at her bedside when her son determined that she should be disconnected from life support. And so I was there when she passed. And it did two things... Uh, for me. One was that it kind of reaffirmed the idea of our bodies as being vehicles because I knew her spirit was still alive. I felt her presence in the room even though her body was dying. And the other thing is that it oddly sent me into a kind of a, it kind of knocked me out of my tracks. And I went into a period of life that was rather self-destructive where I, I just kind of acted out uh, and um, I was confused, I think. But I spent about 10 or 15 years uh, living on the wild side, and I, I lived this kind of riotous, I had this kind of riotous existence. How old were you then? 
Um, from my late 20s, from 30 to 40 or so. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, wow. It's wonderful you were able to get your life back together after that. Those are critical years. Yeah, they were very critical years, and uh, um, I was being carried, and it was not all my doing, believe me, that I was able to maintain a life that could be recovered, <laughs> you know. Um, I recognize that there is this great, mysterious, invisible spiritual mechanism at work underneath the surface of this world that was carrying me, you know. Well, it's Uh, good that you recognize that. Yeah. But they could could only carry us so far, so sooner or later you've (laughs) got to get back to your day job. Yeah, you do. You have to pay your rent. Yeah, that's uh, right. And all that kind of stuff. Well. I was in the um I was doing that just fine but I was leading a riotous lifestyle at the same time. I, in fact I had more success than I'd ever had materially. But uh I ended up with this kind of toxic reaction that that uh that wound me up in another uh a state of near death. I found myself in what what appeared to be a bright white cloud like you'd see out the window of an aircraft if you were flying high up in the clouds on a sunny day, just vividly bright. Wow. And and uh, in the midst of the cloud, a screen opened up of sorts, a screen of sorts opened up in front of me and began to play scenes from my life, like another classic near-death format experience. Wow. These weren't uh, the best of, the greatest hits of my life. Quite the reverse. Yeah, oddly, (laughs) oddly pivotal, uh, seminal moments that I, I probably should have learned something from, but I may not have, at the time they were happening, and uh, one just uh, sort of naturally segued to another. I had the impression that there was someone there, kind of up and to the left behind me again, who was saying, "And now look at this, you know, and now watch this," and. I watched with some fascination and, until I, um, I became aware of the efforts uh, in the material world to, uh, to bring me back, to get me back, you know. And, and uh, I came back then into the world and lost, uh, lost the image of the cloud and the screen and uh, was in a pretty hard place where I had to really kind of change. Uh, and I changed everything and, and moved and gave up a relationship and and uh, my life started to change for the better at that point. It's a good time for us probably to take a little break and then we're going to hear of the next stage of, of Robert Kopecky's life. You're listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We'll be right back. know more about what really happens when we die, or if you're just curious about some of the things discussed on Seek Reality Radio, come and join the friendly seekers at AfterlifeForums.com. Roberta Grimes administers a growing community in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. It really is possible to know the truth. Give yourself the gift of understanding. Share your thoughts with people who are eager to listen. Finally, get your big questions answered. Afterlifeforums.com. 
the truth about your own eternal nature turns out to be even more wonderful than your most optimistic hopes. When Roberta Grimes studied the afterlife evidence, she learned a lot more than what happens when we die. She also discovered that we actually are perfectly loving, eternal beings. To help us explore who we really are, she's begun a multi-generational fictional saga that she calls Letters from Love. Letter from Freedom and Letter from Money begin the series, and Letter from Wonder is due in the fall. They read like fantasy romance, but they are the glorious truth. Also, enjoy Roberta's My Thomas, the beautiful tale of Thomas Jefferson's marriage. Her new novel, Rich and Famous, is a romance set in the go-go 80s. Check out robertagrimes.com to learn more. Knowing the truth about our eternal lives changes everything. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're talking with Robert Kopecki, who is the author of How to Survive Life and Death. Uh, he had three near-death experiences and a, a rather riotous life, it turns out. So you probably needed those experiences to get you grounded spiritually. Um, I, I, I just wanted to ask you, during this second near-death experience, did you, was the same entity there? You said he was there or it was there in all three? Near-death well, experiences? That, ultimately, that's been, uh, you know, what I've come to. In my heart, I recognize this as being a guide. And, yes. You know, and and um, <clears throat> related to my aunt, who passed, too, who was always in my life, and, and was through those years. I used to experience her presence in my life during those, uh, those kind of lost years that I had. So you cleaned up your act after the second one, which is really good, given uh, given that you had gotten older. So so how did you how did your life change? Well, I, um, you know we 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 go through a number of lives. We live and die a number of lives within the confines of this material life. You That's know, very profound. Just, That's very true. You're right. Yeah, not just these like physical lives and deaths that I'm talking about, but none of us are the same person that we. Once oh, were, so true. Yes. Twice were, or three times were, you know. Yes. And um, and for me, you know, I began to uh, find my way back towards a more spiritual path that I really had never had before. <laughs> but I was finding my way back to it, kind of, um, because I had probably always belonged there, like we do. I think that uh, that um, inevitably. For most of us, something happens in our life that makes us uh, makes us start to realize uh, this path to our own authenticity and to our own purpose. And uh, I, I got to say, I didn't completely clean up my act at that point, <laughs> but I certainly got on a much better track than I had been. Um, but I was still looking for something. You know, I was still constantly searching for something. I, I was able to jump back into my. Uh, professional life and, and even, uh, you know, move into a, a kind of a different field that was, um, that was likewise pretty, I was pretty successful at. Um, but I still felt very incomplete. 
the second near-death experience hadn't really registered well enough to have, you know, put me on a the spiritual track that you might have imagined it would have. It's just the power of the material world. Um, it's it is very attractive, <laughs> you know. Were, were you ever religious? Did you ever have a religious faith walk at all? No, I didn't. Well, I had a brief uh, dance with uh, Christianity when I was a kid. I was really uh, raised in in, in a um, a secular, I had a secular childhood. My dad was a, a left-handed Catholic, so he'd left the church because <laughs> they treated him so badly. And he well, was a very well. opinionated guy, so there was, there was no yeah. religion in our house. But I had been um, searching from the time I was young, and I had a relationship with a, a Mormon girl who lived near us on the outskirts of San Diego, where I came from. And uh, I actually got baptized in the Mormon church. Because really? I had kind of a spiritual experience. But then I, I, I lived it for a while, and it wasn't uh, the spirituality that I apparently needed. <laughs> no. You know, and uh, I just found my trail taking me in a different direction when I was quite young. You didn't experiment with Eastern religions or meditation or any of those things? Well, I was, I was a martial artist when I was a kid, and my teacher used to give me some Eastern uh, uh, some meditation practice and things like that, and I, I certainly learned about chi and a lot of those kinds of things. But I kind of moved away from that as I, I got more into my professional life. And then it really wasn't until, uh, until after my third uh, near-death experience, and I, I came to what you might call... The, the dark night of my soul, so to speak. Yeah, tell I, us about that experience, because I, I, I then want to get on to some of the wonderful lessons that you impart in your book, which I think is the real value of it. Um, so, so tell me, how did the, near death, the third near-death experience happen, and what did it teach you? Sure, let me get that out of the way. I don't recommend my means to self-realization to anybody else. No, no, this is, strikes <laughs> me as the hard way. <laughs> no, it really was. And this was the worst one because I, uh, I kind of left the life that I was in to get married. I thought that getting married would straighten me out once and for all. And I moved to Arizona uh, uh, to marry somebody that I had met and had a relationship with for a couple of years, kind of going back and forth. And um, I was at a Super Bowl, watching the Super Bowl with some friends, and I went back to uh, to call my fiancé at the time, and I was assaulted by skinheads. Do you know oh, what skinheads wow. are? They're kind of disaffected, oh, neo-Nazi. Oh. And... Um, I reacted, I responded violently towards them, which was a big mistake. And ultimately, yeah. somebody hit me from behind with something really hard. And I, they stomped and kicked me for the better part of an hour. Is what oh, my was. Lord. How did you survive that? I don't know. <laughs> I so, don't know so exactly you, how. Did you get out of your body? Did you see this happen, Robert? Um, I, I didn't. I wasn't out of my body. I didn't see it happen. I was in a different kind of place than I had been in my two previous experiences. It was a darker place. It wasn't as welcoming. I think that, uh, that maybe the third time is not a charm in that sense. Yeah. And I was, um, I was oddly aware. I had a sense of the physicality of my circumstances. 
and I struggled to stay where I was. I didn't want to come back into this life on that occasion. I wanted to stay in an easier, more spiritual place, I think. But I was gently coerced or even kind of pushed by what seemed like a multitude of hands this time back into this life because I hadn't left appropriately and I had things to do. And uh, that, I, They said that to that. you? Or, or they, they imparted yeah. that, that knowledge to you? Yeah, that, uh, they imparted that knowledge to me. That's a good way to put it. I just got that. I knew that. I knew that. And, and when I opened my eyes laying on the sidewalk, there was an emergency medical uh, uh, professional looking down into my face, and he said, he's back. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. That, uh, that was really terrible. Okay, so yeah. were you really injured? Were you did, did it take yes, a lot I of was. from that? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I had to have reconstructive surgery and stuff. I, I had... Um, I had to have pins put in and stuff to put my shoulder back in place, and I had broken ribs and stuff. It took me quite a while to get over that. I'm sorry. And in a way, that really kind of uh, did launch me into uh, the spiritual path. Uh, ultimately, nothing worked out for me again, uh, as I expected in that life. And I, I came to a place where I realized that none of it was working, you know, that none of it was really what I had hoped that it would be and when it all fell apart that's when i had the opportunity the moment of clarity that i needed to really kind of die from that whole sort of material egoic life and find a spiritual path that that's remarkable that's and remarkable it's to... remarkable you did that and congratulations that Thank that you. you had that revelation that's wonderful yeah, from that point on, I just wanted to uh, I wanted to uh, study and and uh, I started to want to be of service and I began a meditation practice. Wow! And, you know, after five or six years of that, then um, I was just kind of called upon to write, and I I had an art blog for my my design and animation work, and I started posting spiritual blogs on my on my uh, site. And they started becoming more popular than the art. So I, I kept writing. And uh, when the three experiences really crystallized in my meditations, then I had the calling to write this book. And I, I sat down and really put out most of it pretty quickly and, uh, and went from being a, a non-entity as an author to, to getting a book deal, miraculously. So <laughs> that's how you. it came about. Yeah. Good for you. That that's wonderful. And it and uh as I said, it's a very meaty book in terms of, of advice, but it's still light in tone, which is what I like about it. Um it it's very um it's very difficult, I think, to hit that hit that just that note. Uh, but 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 talk about talk about the, the process. Talk about the kinds of things you were writing then before you 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 did this book. That people were were resonating was resonating with people. They were coming to your blog. What were you talking about? You were talking about spiritual matters. I was, yeah. I was talking about the reality of spirituality, the idea that we are spirits riding around in bodies, and what all that that entails. And then I was also writing about other scripture. I'm really big on 
Oh, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, or the Bhagavad Gita, or the Tao Te Ching, or the Gospel of Thomas. Those are some of my very favorites, and so I was writing about those those sort of things, too. I'm an autodidact when it comes to all that, but um, for some reason I was just kind of incapable of reading fiction any longer, and, and uh, I started reading a lot of this kind of scripture that informed my experiences uh, even more. So, you know, you find your community... Um, when you take a spiritual path, and, and I certainly did mine, I'm very, very grateful uh, for that. Um, it's really fulfilling and enjoyable. You know, I, I love talking with people like you who are just on the same page. You know, the yes. rest of the world, uh, the rest of the world can be caught up in uh, so much of what's uh, attractive or painful in the material uh, plane, so to speak. I that, think that's uh, very nice profound, not... Robert. That's so true, because you you attract to you people who are like yourself at, at the sort of spiritual, uh, 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 I won't even say level, but uh, but on the spiritual way that you are. Um, and that's what I think I love most about the, the work I do, because I meet more and more and more people who are, are they're, they're on a slightly different route, but going in the same direction, and I learned from them. Right. They've sure. had different experiences, and uh, I haven't read the Bhagavad Gita since college, so I wouldn't know anything about it. So it's exciting that you're, it's something that you're currently using and studying. And um, there is one of the things I think it's important to say is that all of these ancient, um, we think of those religious, I would think of them as spiritual um, scripts, are, are full of wisdom, just as the Bible is full of wisdom, that really needs to be appreciated from a modern perspective. In some cases, the people who were living when those those books were written really didn't fully understand what they were because eternal beings were the ones doing the writing or at least the inspiring. And the, the primitive people, perhaps Stone Age, Iron Age, whatever they were, people who were around at the time didn't understand. So we get to look at them with fresh eyes. Which is well, yeah, I mean, consciousness certainly has expanded to a great degree uh, since then, but, you know, those texts are basically telling us how it works, you know, right. how everything works. And uh, something that I noticed in talking to you, of course, is that you have a kind of an open-hearted and light manner of talking about all of this stuff, too. And, and for me, that's how I need to talk to people who may be uh, feeling like they're suffering or struggling uh, with, with life or... To, in order to help them deflate some fears that they might have about the, the whole thing and to help them find ways that, um, you know, we can kind of invest our existence with this lightheartedness that makes everything so much more uh, bearable and um, to, to realize what the real potential is uh, for this life uh, in that way, in that manner. Don't you find it impossible to be anything but lighthearted? I think when you know the truth that minds are eternal, that we never begin, we never will end, it's impossible to be anything but but joyous. Uh, you can't be yeah, sad. Yeah, life is death and death <laughs> is life. And, and we will go on living, so you don't have to worry about that. You're yes. not going to be in these bodies because they wear out and we move on yep. from them. It's but, just your um, old Toyota. That's right. Right. That's exactly it. And everybody has that experience of the old car kind of falling apart, you know, and it's mm -hmm. not comfortable. It makes life difficult. But the more that we identify with uh, the vehicle of our body, then the more difficult it is. 
And when we identify with the spirit within, then life becomes lighter and much more bearable. That's true. That's true. And something happens to time, too. We were talking a little bit about time earlier, where it's invested with a kind of wonder or a kind of magic so that... um, so that while you might be complaining about waiting around someplace for someone, if you change your attitude and look at it a slightly different way, it might suddenly become one of the most amazing places you've ever been. You know? That's something I learned from my second near-death experience, was that even the smallest moment, even what appears to be the most mundane aspect of life, can really be something magical if you invest it with the, the right energy. Yes. Yeah. It's that's one of the things people learn in meditation is how to be at peace within their own minds. Uh, They've they've done research and many, many people whose minds are untrained find it extremely difficult to be sitting in a room for five minutes with themselves, just with themselves for company. But one of the joyous things about learning about the truth is that is that you definitely find out that there is there is eternity. I just have to get rid of whatever that is. There is eternity, and there's so much in it. Your mind is so entertaining once you have the opportunity to be in it, and and uh, and not not fearful, because then th- I, I, it's hard to even express. Don't you sometimes find that the joy just wells in you? You just can't, you find it almost unbearable. Um, how how perfect, how happy a moment is. It's 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 like ecstasy just to be alive when you begin to really delve into what what your what's, what your mind is capable of. Yeah, I start. I you know I I, I appreciate the dervish who's whirling, you know, or, yes. or the, the the Hasidic who's rocking back and forth while tracing the lines of his text with his finger. You know, there isn't <laughs> an ecstasy in it, and. The eternal moment isn't some great expansive space of time, but is right now. You know? Yes, right, right, absolutely and right. The realization, I can't say enough about meditation, too. I mean, how else are you going to get along with the crazy neighbor upstairs, you know, which is me, <laughs> because oh. when I sit with myself in meditation, you know, it does those two big things for me. One is that it allows me to see what my serial thinking is like, how crazy it is a lot of the time, and to identify with the witness of that. I become a witness to my crazy thinking. So I don't have to live in it. I don't have to allow it to define me all the time. I can be more my authentic self and live in what you might call common sense or, or intuitive intelligence, you know. And then the other thing is that I, that I become aware as I'm sitting in meditation of how connected everything is, you know, how the planet is a body and that I have the same life as everybody else I'm experiencing simultaneously. And if I sit in nature, which I try to do a lot, you know, the, the plants and the trees and the animals, we are all sharing consciousness. In a sense, I, if I may be so bold... <laughs> I would call consciousness God. The consciousness well, that's not bold. I think that's true. I think that's true. Robert, that you're, you're discovering things that it's frankly taken me a lifetime to come to the same conclusions. But, um, yeah, what, what we think of as God is an aspect of, or rather, I would say it, in the reverse, human consciousness is apparently an aspect of God. We're all part of 
one glorious entity, and uh, that's what we all along have thought of as an other, uh, and a divine other, and, and it's not. It's we're, we're as intimately connected with God as we could possibly be. Right. We, we, it enlivens and energizes everything. We're, we're going to take another quick break, and then we'll come back. This is Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. You are an eternal being. You never began, and you never will end. When you really understand that, it will change everything in your life. Our guest today is the delightful Robert Kopecki, and we'll be right back. Roberta Grimes spent decades reading more than 150 years of abundant and consistent communications from the dead. The result is her book, The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next. The Fun of Dying shows you why your mind is eternal. It explains how you can enjoy the death process, and it describes in detail the glorious forever that awaits us all. Now Roberta follows The Fun of Dying with The Fun of Staying in Touch. Learn how our dead loved ones give us spectacular signs of their survival. Learn about the wonderful ways that you can stay in contact with those you love. Go to robertagrimes.com for more information. It turns out that love really is eternal. Afterlife researcher Victor Zamet has long been a leader in the field of helping us understand what is going on. Like Roberta Grimes, Victor is an attorney. Like her, he was dissatisfied with the scientific and religious explanations of reality. So he did what lawyers do. He examined the evidence. And when he drew the same set of conclusions that every open-minded researcher has drawn, he began to educate the world. Roberta considers the free Friday Afterlife report that Victor and Wendy Zamet produce to be indispensable access to fresh information about our one reality. Go to victorzamet.com and sign up to receive their wonderful Friday Afterlife report. That's V-I-C-T-O-R-Z-A-M-M-I-T dot com. It's the best news you'll read all week. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're talking today with Robert Kopecki, who wrote an interesting, after having three near-death experiences and a rather, a rather interesting life, um, Robert wrote, How to Survive Life and Death, A Guide for Happiness in This World and Beyond. And it's full of the kind of wisdom that really only comes from that kind of a very varied life and, and having been hit upside the head a few times, Robert. Um, <laughs> you, 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 begin to, yeah. you begin to get a clue. I'm interested in your dedication. Um, who are these people? Dorothy, Ruth, Anne, Margaret. Who are these people? Um, uh, Doris is uh, my mother-in-law, basically. She's an author. Her name is Doris Grumbach, and she's a great inspiration to me. Uh, she's uh, married to my wife's mother. <laughs> and, uh, and then my mother, of course, and Ruth is the aunt that I spoke of. Uh, Who's Dorothy? Dorothy is my mom. 
Dorothy is my my mom too, and I had an aunt named Ruth. So, and um, uh-huh. I, <laughs> I know. Hey, we're practically related. Um, so, it, so your dedication struck me. But it's um, Robert calls these people the feminine divine, and uh, I, I think in a very profound sense, um, we're, we're all divine. We're, we're we're just coming to understand that our religions have taught us that we are defective, imperfect, sinful, fallen. And the actually all the evidence, all the afterlife evidence, what people learn in their near-death dear death experiences, everything we've been able to determine is that the opposite is true. We are aspects of the divine and, and perfect aspects of the divine, and we just forgot that. So we're kind of screwed up right now, but returning to who we really are is a, is a glorious homecoming. And that's kind of what you've been doing. Yeah, um... Rumi, who is one of my favorite poets and always an inspiration for me, has a really nice way of of putting that relationship. He says that there's a room in your heart with a window from which you can see the divine. You can look upon the divine from that window. But the trick is that you have to be in that room in your heart, right? And so um, I I stress open-heartedness a lot in, in the book as a, a means to experience the love that I believe underlies everything and that enables us then to, uh, to, to live a more divine life, so to speak, you know, where we're connected to everything uh, by this kind of quantum field of love that I yes. believe is what, uh, what creates everything beautiful. Yes. Um, yeah, quantum field of love, I love that phrase. You, you you talk about radical kindness, radical forgiveness, and radical surrender. Explain that. Yeah, those are my uh, those are my tips for happiness. And uh, if you just uh, try them out, I guarantee they'll work. Or you know, I'll <laughs> I'll come and try to figure out why not. Yeah, uh, right. You do, do, do you do home rad- visits for repairs then? Radical kindness. Let's start there because uh, I like to propose that as a challenge to people and just try it for one or two days. Be as absolutely, as sincerely kind to everyone that you meet, everyone you come in contact with, as you possibly can be without, you know, acting like a boob or (laughs) being sarcastic or something. Just be authentically kind to people and watch what happens in your life. It is really profoundly amazing because you suddenly find yourself connected to what appears to be a conspiracy of very kind people, you know? And, well, and, for example, uh, what would you do? How would you express that kindness in your life? Um, you know something? When you're, when you're with somebody who's maybe helping you in a store or you have some kind of situation at work, is you just kind of uh, drop whatever attitude you may have and open your heart and smile with your eyes first and then just be kind you know just be as kind as you possibly can be and then what happens is that that energy is reflected to you people pick up on it and some people are stunned by how nice you're being they're not sure why and other people are already part of the club <laughs> you know <laughs> they're already they smile they give you this look in your eye i've had experiences that are amazing along those lines, where uh, I suddenly will find uh, compatriots um, and allies where I didn't know any existed, just out of the blue, just like that. So radical kindness will change your experience of life 
so much for the better that I guarantee that after just a day or two of trying it, you won't go back the same way again. Another place for kindness, and I think this is a very profound tip that you're giving us, another place to express kindness is in your home. Because it's very easy for us to take those we love most, those who are closest to us, for granted. And it's very easy for us to hold grudges. He never picks up his socks or, uh, you know, she never cooks my favorite food or whatever. Um, when, when I began to really understand what's going on, you know, maybe 15 years ago, the first thing I found myself doing was being kind to my husband, even when he didn't deserve it at all. Um, right. And that, that and you know, what was so funny sure about that? I'm sure he deserved it, Roberta. <laughs> no, you don't know my husband. But but what was remarkable was uh, he started doing the same stuff back to me, and it started right. a benevolent cycle uh, that continues to this day. I I think I certainly didn't understand how important it was to. Make make the most people important people in my life really the most important people and and put them first, and it gives back to you a thousandfold when you do that. It's remarkable. Right, it's so easy to overlook them, isn't it? My wife says that's not very spiritual, Bob. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> she has the same kind of husband I had. <laughs> there's a, there's something that uh, Joseph Campbell, who was a, a an inspiration to me, said. Uh, I remember. He said that our job is to recognize the eternal in one another. Yes. So when true. we're in this these close relationships, you know, it's easy for our that egoic mind, that crazy person in our head, to start chiming in with, "I'm not getting what I want." And if we can, uh, you know, recognize the eternal in one another and in ourselves, then we can identify with the witness to that kind of crazy thinking and realize that the person that we're closest to deserves our our kindness as much as complete strangers or more so. Even, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. So. And, and yeah. so then we come to radical forgiveness. Um, forgiveness is based upon the afterlife evidence, the reason we're here to learn how really to forgive. So, so what do you mean by radical forgiveness? Yeah, I wonder if that's because it's so hard to do because it, that is a difficult thing to do, particularly if somebody really has done you wrong and you really are right. justified in your feelings. Right, but um, again, that the idea of uh, of looking for the eternal in uh, the other person comes into play strongly uh, because everybody is trying their best. Everybody is um, everybody has the handicap of their karma, so to speak. Whatever psychic energy they got as a child, kind of programmed into them, or whatever uh, their life's experiences have taught them. And so they're all, uh, you know, laboring at, with their best effort to do what they think is right. That generally is what everybody is doing. And so, from their uh, perspective, I, and maybe I don't right. agree with their perspective on what's right. Exactly right. But I just identifying with that effort, with the shared yes. struggle, is uh, is where it comes from because. Uh, it, they, everybody deserves res- that respect, at least, you know. So if somebody does something really awful to you, too, you know, there's, you're not going to change it. You're not going to take it back and make it so it never happened again. You have to move on from it. Right. They may have moved on with their own karma, and, you know, they will eventually answer, like we all do, 
to the actions that that we uh, you know perpetrate. <laughs> That's just the nature of life. So the trick then is to radically forgive them as much as you possibly can uh, and uh, allow them to go on in their direction and don't carry that with you anymore, that pain that they projected on you. Uh, don't make it your own. Don't uh, Forgiveness have it is really for yourself. It clears yourself. It doesn't... Right. It's not for them. That's true. Now tell us, we're, we're coming to the end of our hour. This was a real quick one. So uh, tell us, though, what, what do you mean by radical surrender? Yeah, that's a, that's a tougher nut for a lot of people because it sounds bad, right? Me surrender? Never. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. right, right. But we also talk about surrender in, in kind of a blissful way. Too, you know, the sweet surrender, so to speak. And, and that kind of is more what I'm uh, talking about, I think. The, the mechanism that carries us through our life, like all the crazy times that I had and all the terrible things that happened to me, I was being carried. I was being carried to this place where I can talk to you now. You know, I didn't die three times. I'm, I'm here. And, right, I'm that's here right. And to, to tell you these, these things. So... That mechanism is at work all the time. Now, just to point out something that most people don't think about, when things are going really well, we are surrendered to life, right? We don't think of it in those terms because everything's going really great. It's easy to be surrendered. It's so easy yes. that it doesn't even occur to you. Right. It's when things are going tough, when things are going badly, and we wish we weren't there, or there was something that we could possibly do to change it, to get ourselves out of it, to you know have some effect on the world that's not being what we want. That is a time then for radical surrender, because that same mechanism that's carrying you when everything works out beautifully is still carrying you, and it's still taking you the way that you need to be going and you need to re-energize your circumstances with more positivity and realize that you can surrender to this wonderful flow that's going to take you right through. I like to say, when you're going through hell, keep going, right? Keep going. That's a good point. Because you're going wow. to be delivered to the other side, and there's going to be, you know, kind of a payoff there for you when you handle things that way. And yeah, nobody gets out of life alive, but we certainly can learn a lot in the process, and it looks as if your journey is turned into a wonderful one. Um, our, our our guest this week has been Robert Kopecki. Um, he, his book is How to Survive Life and Death, A Guide for Happiness in the World and Beyond, and what what's wonderful about this book is the fact that it's full of the wisdom that only three near-death experiences and some rather interesting other life experiences uh, c- can give you. And it's light, and it's w- wise, and it's profound. I'm Roberta Grimes. My books are The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next, and the forthcoming The Fun of Staying in Touch, which will explore all the many ways we can stay in touch with our dead loved ones until we see them again in the flesh, and it will be in the flesh. I have novels to share, too. My Thomas is the story of the American Revolution from the perspective of Thomas Jefferson's beautiful marriage. You can find out about all my books, and you and I can stay in touch at robertagrimes.com. Please come read my blog. I put a lot of effort into writing it. And if you sign up there, you and I can stay in touch. Next week, my guest will be Hillis Pugh, who will talk about his book, Thank You Thursday, and the power of gratitude. This is a a, a topic that's especially dear to my heart, and I'll have a lot to say about it as well. Now go out 
and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being and you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes, joyous conversations about your eternal life. To learn more, tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. For lively and positive discussions, visit www.afterlifeforums.com. To contact Roberta, email her at roberta at seekreality.com. Wishing you a productive week empowered by the truth of who you really are.